The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams The podcast versions of the original Facebook Live readings during the coronavirus outbreak by Matthew Ogden, The Bearded Wit Please bear in mind that as Facebook Live recordings, these are rough and ready, there are mistakes, there are a few trip-ups here and there, and there is laughter from the reader as he goes through and follows the humour himself along with you, the listener. We hope you enjoy listening to these and share liberally. Part 48 Before we begin, I'd like to ask you to seriously consider becoming a patron of The Bearded Wit by going to patreon.com forward slash The Bearded Wit. You can support me from as little as $5 a month, which is essentially a cup of coffee, uh, and that will mean that I will be able to continue producing this material and other podcasts that I do, and it would mean the world to me to have you um, know that you're, you've got my back on this. Uh, I love producing this material for people, and it's been a huge pleasure for me to do this, uh, which basically started as a project for family and friends right back at the beginning of March last year uh, when the um, COVID-19 virus was really beginning to kick in. It was a way of basically connecting friends and family all over the world who were finding it a bit difficult as we all did and it's grown into something where I've got a lot of people listening all over the world. It would mean the world to me if you could take the time just to pop over to uh, patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit, sign up from as little as five dollars a month, as I say uh, it's a cup of coffee. It would mean the world to me because the more of you guys, you fabulous people out there that do it, the more I'm able to do more of this stuff for you on an ongoing basis. No obligation, but if you can, I would be so deeply grateful. Also, if you could take a moment to pop over to Facebook and uh, give The Bearded Wit a like and follow, uh, and also go over to my new YouTube channel as well, um, just search for The Bearded Wit uh, and subscribe. Uh, I'll be putting all of the live readings slightly edited um, and cleaned up a bit uh, onto that uh, over the coming weeks. Um, But yeah, join up, uh, get involved, like, share, follow, subscribe, do all the usual social media things. Okay, on with the reading. Thanks very much, everyone. As usual, I will do the sort of the the prelim uh, and ask if you guys, if you haven't already become patrons or haven't already made donations, uh, I need to say a big thank you to Felicity Mills. A big shout out to her. She made a a donation uh, out of the blue. Um, uh, saying thank you very much for introducing her to The Hitchhiker's Guide and what a pleasant journey it's been, and that's really lovely. So thank you very much, Felicity. Uh, Niels Yuda, I know you are long-term uh, supporters. Thank you for your support throughout this and, and your encouragement as well. Um, it's been fabulous. Uh, and if, yeah, so if you've not already become a patron, um, and I I have only a handful, I don't have a lot, but I have a handful of very, very faithful patrons, um, and you can do that by going over, you see scrolling along on the bottom of the screen, you can see patreon.com forward slash thebeardedwit, um, sign up for 
uh, as little as five dollars a month um, five euros thereabouts for that you get access to all of the podcasts go out with uh, now with advertising um, depending on the market you're in um, so you'll get access to completely ad-free versions of the content plus I'm starting to get into producing some special patron only content like the rats in the walls and, and other gothic and ghosty horror story kind of stuff um, and and I'm also, I'm tempted to do some merchandise, um, some Bearded Wit merchandise, um, which uh, I will be asking the patrons about for their input, um, and they will get special discounts, of course, on anything that I do end up producing. Not sure yet, it's just an idea, but I was thinking of a few uh, sort of Bearded Wit-themed odds and sods that could be quite good fun. Um but uh, the other thing as well, if you're a patron, go to the go to patreon.com and let me know what you would like me to do next. You can comment here. Uh, you can comment on the, the Facebook page, whatever. Let me know where you'd like to go. This is going to be, uh, as I say, the end of, of the road with the live reading, certainly, of the Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, but it's not the end of the road at all in terms of what we're going to do let's find out what more fun we can have together in the future so quick recap we have got to a point when uh, we're still on nano the little planetoid to which the last remaining remnants of humanity have been spirited away uh, and it was due um, to sort of Vogon um, love for all things um, official. It was due to be destroyed, um, but they managed to stop that from happening, or it stopped. It was stopped happening mainly because uh, the um, uh, the auspices of uh, Constant Moan, who is an offspring of. Um, Prostetnik Vogon Jeltz, it's his son, and he actually raised a point of law which meant that they shouldn't destroy the planet because they weren't actually Earthlings anymore, they were officially a different species, and Prostetnik Vogon Jeltz was extremely um, happy uh, with the fact that he was actually upbraided by his son on a point of law. Uh, and we left it with um, uh, prosthetic Vogon Jeltz disappearing off into hyperspace uh, with a very warm feeling inside, or as warm as a Vogon gets, uh, about how awesome his son was going to be. In fact, he was absolutely the last line from the, the from the, the reading last week was that someday my son will truly be an utter bastard, um, and there can be no greater praise from a Vogon than that. So we're left on Nano. What next? Let's read on and find out, shall we? Nano. The stereotypical depiction of a sentient species under the threat of destruction from hovering alien spaceships usually sees them running around panic-stricken, clutching their most treasured household appliances close to their breasts and arranging their automobiles in neat jams on bridges. Except in the case of the Haraf Haraf movie, Douching of the Red Plong, where everyone is quite relieved just before complete annihilation because their lifespan flows backwards through time. So from the Haraf Haraf point of view, they've just survived one humdinger of a douching unscathed. There was, 
no running about on Nano, and very few household appliances. The inhabitants stood in John Wayne Square, swaying slightly like reeds, their mouths open as they waited passively for death from above. All except Acid Preflux, who sat on a bench gorging himself on a tub of cottage cheese. "'Hey, was so wrong!' he sobbed between fistfuls. "'So utterly wrong to understand the cheese. "'The excellent must consume the cheese!' Hillman Hunter stood in the shadow of the statue, trying not to attract too much attention to himself, in case people decided to blame him for all their woes. Some things may flow downhill, but blame flows to the top, and Hillman preferred not to be in pain until the big pain arrived, which he fervently hoped would be relatively painless. See you soon, Nano, he whispered. Not just yet, said Nano's voice in his head. While Hillman was contemplating this mysterious and hopefully prophetic phantom voice, a thrown blob of cottage cheese slopped against the side of his face, plugging one earhole and dripping underneath his collar. "'Nice work with the god, moron!' called Acid Preflux from across the square. "'This could get ugly,' thought Hillman. A couple of rose shears were drawn, and Hillman was sure he saw a letter knife. Why is there always someone with a blade? Fortunately, the Vogon Bureau Cruiser decided to absent itself from real space in a charming display of blue hyper-engine pyrotechnics. One second it was there, and the next, whiz, pop, bang, it was gone, leaving nothing but a short-lived cloud of exhaust plasma in its wake. Oh, chorused the crowd. Zaphod, with his innate sense of the theatrical, chose this moment to clamber atop the statue pedestal. "'The uh, Vogans have been vanquished,' he called from the crook of John Wayne's arm. "'Thor has saved you!' "'Thor saved us,' said Hillman, puzzled. "'Which Thor? The dead disappeared one.' Zaphod threw him a look which asked Hillman just how stupid he was exactly, and when Z. Beeblebrox thinks a person is stupid, then that person is by implication more stupid than Zaphod himself, which is very stupid indeed. But then again, probably too stupid to interpret the look or be insulted even if he did. Hillman was not stupid just momentarily demented, and the moment had passed. Oh, of course, he cried, the first few syllables a squeak. Tor has saved us! Zaphod googled his eyes. Yes, about time. Thor has saved us all! Hillman mounted the pedestal. And he will come again when he's needed! Now you're getting it, said Zaphod. The Lord Thor will communicate with his people only through me. I can pretty much guarantee that. Whatever Hiddles says, that's what Thor, who saved us, wants you all to do.
And if we don't? asked Aceed. Zaphod frowned and ballooned his cheeks as if the very idea was ridiculous. Then Thor would be most unhappy, and so would his hammer. Hillman squinted at the crowd, hardly daring to hope that anyone would swallow this slapdash spackle of religious babble. He was surprised to find not even a single garden or household blade headed his way. Aceed had his hand in the cheese bucket, but even he was holding off, for now, thinking about it. They're not going to kill me, realised Hillman. Thanks be to God! Not God, said Zaphod pointedly. Thanks be to Thor. Hillman smiled and then went for the big finish. Nano called for a sacrifice, he said, balancing on the pedestal. Nano called for a feckin' martyr. The word feckin' was subsequently bleeped from the video record of this little speech because after Hillman's martyrdom... Everything he'd said during his first life suddenly became infinitely more important and laden with wisdom. The next thing Hillman said was, <laughs> though the <laughs> at the end may have been escaping gases, for at that moment a nose cone of torpedo debris that Thor had evidently missed tumbled from the sky, striking Sean the boxer statue a glancing blow on the noggin, loosening the screw threads around the waistline of the two-part sculpture, and sending the left glove spinning clockwise to deliver a devastating roundhouse blow that literally cut Hillman in two. Oh, balls! grunted Hillman, followed by the last words of his current lifespan. Coming, Nano! Historians deleted the first phrase, but kept the second, which was misinterpreted so many times that 15,000 years later, a third-grade student misspelled it and accidentally arrived at the correct meaning. There is no such thing as a happy ending. Every culture has a maxim that makes this point, while nowhere in the universe is there a single gravestone that reads, he loved everything about his life, especially the dying bit at the end. Rolit Klett, the Dentrassi independent film director come chef, says in his memoir, Fish or Film, The First Cut is Mine, what you think is the happy ending is actually a brief respite before the serial killer that you thought was dead gets back up and butchers everyone except the girl with the biggest boobs, who dies first in the sequel of the following year. Or, as Zem of Scornsellish Zeta succinctly put it, the mattress never stays dry for long. However, the number one most overused quote on the subject of endings, happy or otherwise, comes from an old man who lived on a pole in Hualius, who simply said that there is no such thing as ending, or beginning for that matter, everything is middle. The quote ends on a more rambling note, 
Middles are crap. I, I hate middles. Middles are all regretting the past and waiting for something interesting to happen. Mid middles can go zark themselves, as far as I'm concerned. Generally, the pamphlet people only tend to print the first sentence, with perhaps a picture of a nice whale toad in the background, or maybe a couple of sunsets. Barely a week had passed since the aborted Vogon attack, and already people had forgotten how lucky they were to be alive, and were back to worrying about the big issues of the day, like, wasn't there anything that could be done about the late afternoon haze that drifted in from the ocean, and, and why hadn't anyone thought to bring more peanut butter from Earth? And what was that sharp smell outside the creche? And maybe it would be nice to have a larger planet, because this artificial gravity was making some of the old-timers ill. Hillman Hunter sat at his desk, reading through the day's complaints, wondering why he bothered hiring a god in the first place. A lot of these bin fillers were supposed to be settled with fire and brimstone or hammer, whatever the case may be. Hillman could see the very real benefits in having an absentee god who only communicated through his representative. But did Thor have to martyr himself quite so soon? Couldn't he... I spent a few weeks on civil service duty before making the ultimate sacrifice. That's not to say martyrdom did not have its advantages. Since Hillman had been brought back from the dead in the heart of Gold's Mediward, everyone had been a whole lot more willing to accept that he was Thor's representative on Nano. The new legs helped. Hillman was doing his best to be pious and wise, but every minute of every feckin' day dealing with a red tape was driving him out of his mind. Plus, the scar tissue around his middle was itching worse than a bull's arse. I am Hillman Hunter, Nano. I am a Christopher Columbus-type figure with the colony founding and whatnot. I can't be stamping forms and sorting out domestics. His intercom buzzed and a hologram of his secretary inflated on his desk. Yep, Marilyn, what's the story? The story is that your first appointment is here. Hillman was almost relieved. Arguing with real people was marginally better than getting upset with sheets of paper. Might as well get the steamers on the shovel, he thought. OK, Nano. Send them through. Marilyn frowned. Sorry, Hillman, what did you call me? Thick, thought Hillman. For Nano, he said hurriedly. It's the new official slogan. What do you think? Good, uh, yes, fine, said Marilyn in a tone of such insulated boredom that Hillman was surprised she had heard him misspeak in the first instance. That's two lines I've sold people in a week. First the torting and now this. Arthur Dent and his daughter, Random, came into the office. And, of course, the girl sat down without waiting to be asked. That girl even sits sulkily, thought Hillman. But she's a smart one. Sit, Arthur, please. Thank you. Fernando, barked Hillman, thinking he'd better throw one into the conversation every now and then. That's the thing with bullshit, his nano used to say. You have to keep piling more and more on. Uh, pardon? said Arthur, bemused. 
Oh, it's uh, a new slogan. Rally the people and all that. For nano! When would you use it? I don't really know, huffed Hillman. Collecting crops, crossing oceans, that kind of thing. Heroic stuff. What do you think? It's short, said Arthur, honestly. Uh, snappy is a better word, isn't it? You have no idea how many subcommittee meetings went into that slogan. This time next year it'll be on the curriculum. Random leaned her elbows on the desk. I've heard that Nano is what you used to call your grandmother. Hal Hillman was rattled. Is it? I don't remember. Well, actually, I think you're right. My goodness, sure, I haven't even thought about that in years, but Jesus. Don't bother. What? Every time you're in trouble, out comes Paddy the Leprechaun and his cutesy Irish accent. That's ridiculous, spluttered Hillman, moving on to another level of rattled. I am Irish. Not that Irish. The truth of the matter is that you named the entire planet after your granny. The size of the planet was the primary reason for the name, said Hillman, and then decided it was time to go on the offensive. And anyway, what if I did name the planet? I paid for most of it. And did you see the list of submissions? He pulled a sheet from his cork board. Oak tree rise, Auntie Jojo, the world's greatest aunt. Frank, the, pla the planet Frank... OK, apparently I'm now over in Liverpool. Sorry about this, folks. I'll go back across the Irish Sea. <clears throat> Come on, kiddo. Nano isn't half bad compared to that lot. Random's jaw jutted. Maybe. But naming planets and inventing rousing slogans sound like the seeds of dictatorship to me. Tar is lord here, said Hillman solemnly. Not me. Arthur jumped in before Random could tackle that one. How are the new legs? Hillman clip-clopped his hooves under the desk. The joints are a bit different, but I'm getting used to them. You should see me going up the stairs at night, like a feckin' bullet. Random snickered. Apparently Thor has always favoured goats, so people are taking it as a sign. Hillman snapped a pencil in his chubby fingers. A sign of what? A sign that Zaphod Beeblebrox is a dullard? Well, at least you're alive again, Arthur pointed out. And back on your... Uh, hooves. Zaphod did promise you some humanoid legs whenever you feel up to the operation. He found a nice pair in the back of the fridge. You were only dead for twenty minutes, said Random sweetly. So you probably only lost about half your IQ. Not that anyone would notice. Arthur decided that it would be prudent to change the subject again. Any progress on our citizenship uh, applications? Some, said Hillman, only too happy to be steered away from talk of his goat's legs. The fact was that he did not want to commit to a second operation. There were advantages to being half goat, Certain sections of the community venerated him and actually bowed as he passed. And a few of the younger, more forward ladies had asked some very personal questions about his new limbage. Very personal. 
Uh, just a couple of questions, he said, hiding a sudden blush behind his desktop screen. Ah, to Philip Dent. Blah, 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 blah. Fine, fine, fine. Ah, yes. What should we put down for an occupation? Arthur rubbed his chin. It's been a while. I used to work in radio once upon a time. And sandwiches. I could make a decent sandwich. So, media and catering. Good skills to have in a developing world. I won't be, don't see any foresee any problems with your application. What about mine? asked Random, though it sounded more like a threat than a question. Hillman leaned back in his chair. That depends upon you. Random, are you simply here to rabble-rouse the Tyromancers? The Tyromancers have disbanded, said Random, scowling. The cows broke into the compound, and AC discovered yoghurt. They're using cakes now, apparently. Critomancy. So, you won't be allying yourself to this new cause? No, I have loftier goals. Really? Find a nice boy, settle down. I want to be president. If Hillman had been eating something, he would have choked on it. President of, of Nano! Of the galaxy. I've done it before. It's a long story, said Arthur. She needs to go to school. I have eight master's degrees and a double doctorate, protested his daughter. Virtual degrees, said Arthur calmly. I don't think they count. Of course they count, Daddy. Don't be so Cro-Magnon. I don't make the rules. That is such a cliché. You are like a mound of cliché bricks all piled on top of each other to make a person. That's very good imagery, honey. Maybe an arts degree. Hillman had been sub-ether surfing during this exchange. I might have something here to interest you, Random. Random selected an it-will-be-a-cold-day-in-hell-before-you-have-something-to-interest-me look from her lexicon and beamed it at full force at Hillman. I doubt it. Hillman beamed back and, oh, really? Then pursed his lips, playing harder to get than a redhead at a Cayley, and Arthur broke first. What? Nothing. Random is right. She won't be interested. Oh, come on, Hillman. Be the mature one. Hillman turned the screen round. Look here. The University of Cruxvan rules on virtual degrees if you can pass the qualifying exam. They can extract the memories with this thing that looks like a robotic octopus. That is mildly interesting, admitted Random, studying the screen. And they offer a satellite programme. I could put in an application for you, said Hillman. Random recognised his tones from years of virtual negotiations. In return for what? Um, in return for a little support. 
I'll be honest with you, Random. I'm an important man. I can't be wasting my valuable time dealing with small potatoes. The steamers are piling high here, my girl. Health and safety violations. All those you-bid people looking for residencies. Tax forms from Megabrantis. Your father told me about your background in politics. And, and you want an assistant. You've put your finger on it. And who would be more qualified than yourself? Random tutted. Not you, that's for sure. Okay, what's in this for me? Experience in the real world. A nice apartment in the village, and I'll start you on a level three wage. Level five, snapped Random on principle. Five it is, said Hillman quickly, sticking out his hand. Keep your hand, said Random. We can shake after the contracts are signed. Hillman pushed back his chair. Oh, you can see that you are going to be a bucket of chuckles. OK, then, girlie, be here at eight o'clock, sharp tomorrow morning. Expect me about ten-thirty. You can have the tea ready. Arthur felt the spectre of relief hovering over on one shoulder and the spectre of foreboding slumped on the other. Having a beer, scratching its arse. Think positive, he told himself. It could work out. I'll make a lunch, he told Random. Sandwiches okay? They might not kill each other. Hillman reached under the desk and scratched the coarse hair on his thigh. Oh, and I need a special shampoo for me new parts. And also, you could give me a hand filing me hooves. Arthur amended his last thought to... They might not kill each other for at least a month. Then caught the fire in Random's glare and realised he was being about a fortnight too optimistic. Slurp of... It's coffee, it's not tea. I've let the side down. Sorry, folks. And I've just thrown it all over myself too. Wonderful. Great job, Matt. I'm so stylish. Zephod Beeblebrox made a complete nuisance of himself for a few fun-packed weeks, then decided to sneak off into improbability during the night. He would have preferred to make his exit covered in the confetti from a parade given in his honour, but there was the matter of the gold he had uh, liberated from Hillman's safe as payment for Thor's sacrifice. Also, there were a half-dozen ladies who he may have promised stuff to. Stuff like undying love, a, a trip to the stars. His pin code. I'm not here a month, he thought as he skulked up to up the heart of Goldstone. Well, imagine the damage I could do in a year. Zephod Beeblebrox... The best bang since the big one. Fruity. Ford Prefect knew how much Zaford appreciated a nice parade, and so bought a pocket full of rice with him to bid farewell to his cousin. Farewell, Mr President, he called, tossing a handful of the rice into the air over Zaford's head. I bet there are a couple of ladies that will miss you. Zaphod's facial muscles executed a very complicated manoeuvre that left his expression somewhere between regal and pained. Thanks for the uh, send-off, cousin, but I am trying to skulk 
here. Skulk? Word of the week? Exactly. I'm making enough ruckus as it is, manipulating with this bag, without, tell without you yelling at me. Ford shrugged. Hey, you're, you're Zaphod Beeblebrox, the big bee. People are going to yell. If I were you, I'd never build a silent exit into your escape plan. Zaphod squatted for a rest. Zark, you're right. I wish someone had told me that before Bron it all. I could have avoided all that egg on my face. Guide note. During a previous adventure that has not yet happened, Zaphod time-travelled to the planet, planet Brontitol, where the bird people had re-emerged, will have re-emerged, please alter any subsequent verbs as appropriate, conjugating especially the future perfect tense to freeze the guide as the dominant species. Once Zaphod had successfully shrunk and stolen their sacred statue of Arthur Dent, don't ask, he attempted to sneak back through the spaceport, taking a shortcut through the hatchery. Unfortunately, the hatchery was protected by laser eyes, motion detectors, several disgruntled unborn ex-spirits, and a Minimax self-targeting weapon. Zaphod's hair was wounded and he wiped out an entire generation of bird people with his chin as he fell. During his trial, a freshly permed Zaphod not only claimed diplomatic immunity, but managed to counter-sue the avian government for overzealous security measures. "'I don't remember anything at all about Brontidal,' said Ford. "'Don't tell me you're having adventures without me.' "'No, I never do anything without you, Ford. You're the one person I trust, the only person I can confide in.' What's in the bag? Uh, souvenirs. Some cake mix the Cridomancers didn't want. Um, a little microwave oven. Fruity, you can make hot cake. That's the plan. Zaphod pushed his clanking bag inside the doorway. Are you sure you won't hitch a ride? He said to his cousin. No thanks, Zaph. I have a job to do. This planet does not have so much as a single art article in the guide. I'm going to stick around for a couple of weeks and write it up. Do some research. Take a little sun. Sounds good, said Zaphod wistfully. So, why don't you stay? Zaphod struck a pose on the gantry, one leg bent, forearm across his knee. From somewhere, an organic bulb flickered on, etching his jaw in crimson light. It's not my destiny, Ford he said, a sudden breeze fanning his hair behind him. The universe has different plans for Zephard Beeblebrox. Wherever there are only females, I will be there. Wherever cocktails are given free to celebrities, look for me. Wherever some really bad stuff happens to those people with, you know, depressing stuff in their places... Zaphard Quantus Beeblebrox will do his best to make time for it. Quantus? I'm trying it out. What do you think? Good. Very heroic. Better than the last one. I know, said Zaphard ruefully. Prunty pens. Someone should have told me. They did their childhood shake. Bum bum boot elbow high five elbow. Okay. Be seeing you, Ford, said Zaphod, stepping inside the doorway, Falsefield. One more thing, said Ford. 
Arthur's on this planet, so, you know, sooner or later. Yeah, someone will try to blow it up. Don't worry, I'll keep an ear on the sub-ether. First sign of Ogons, and I'm zooming over. I'm counting on you. The heart of gold lifted silently off the spaceport concrete. Never hurts to have a backup plan, said Zaphod. Then he was gone. Left Brain had been plugged into the plasma a bit long and was feeling a little hyper. Look who it is, the great galactic president, gracing us with his presence. Zaphod heaved the sack of gold into a locker. Hey, LB, nice work with the light and wind machine. Left Brain bonked Zaphod with his glass. I don't appreciate being used as your effects guy. You were elected president of the galaxy, Zaphod. Don't you have any dignity? Zaphod rubbed his crown. I don't understand the question. He strode to the bridge, passing through several auto-doors that were programmed to recognise him and deliver appropriately laudatory comments as he passed through. Ooh, he looks fit, gushed Service Corridor 1. Nice hair, Zafie, piped the central elevator, who'd always been a little cheeky. You want to make me be organic, said the midship bridge, bridge door. As he sauntered onto the bridge, feeling about 15 esteemeters better about himself. I like that. Esteemeters. Esteemeters. Okay. Feeling about 15 esteemeters better about himself, Zaphod noticed a hammer icon revolving on the main screen. When did that come in? He asked Left Brain, who was, of course, hovering by his shoulder, suspiciously close to the spot where he used to be attached. A few hours ago. I think I have separation anxiety, said Left Brain. I miss my neck. No problem, said Zaphod, settling into the captain's chair. We can get you stuck back on here whenever you like. No, thanks, said Left Brain. I can take a few pills for the anxiety, or, or maybe a hollow trunk. Anything is better than waking up with beside an asinine lout like you. Zaphod thought the word asinine to himself several times, and then immediately forgot it. Play the message. Background music? Uh, no, just whatever came in. I don't want anyone overhearing this. Very well. Shields up. On screen, the hammer icon twirled and became a video box. Thor's her sweet features, her suit features, filled the screen. Hello, Zaf. Uh, hello, hello. Uh, this is, uh, I, be, I bet this isn't even on. Oh, okay. Now I see it. We're on. The god composed himself. Hello, Zaphod. This is your client, Thor, the Thunder God. I am not dead, as you probably guessed. I had guessed, crowed Zaphod, punching the air. Guide note. The whole martyrdom concept has been working well for God since the mid-morning of time, when Raymond the Louche, resident god of Tarpon 7, avoided making a ruling over who owned what baby by faking his own death through orgasmic overdose. Raymond realised that people liked him much better now that he was dead, and they tended to base their decisions on third-hand hearsay of stuff he might have whispered under his breath to a deaf leper in a cave. 
Raymond's check still went directly into his account, and now all he had to do was appear in shadowy form to a virgin once every few thousand years and say something cryptic like, The tiny stones will save us all. Be sure that you covet the pebbles. The Raymond method became such a successful method and model that soon gods all over the galaxy were faking their deaths and cursing Raymond for copywriting death by orgasmic overdose. Thor leaned in close to the camera. It was the martyr comet. Like you said, I was walking along that big bomb thinking that if I let it kill me, then the humans would think I died for them. So I gave it a hundred percent up on the Vogon ship when I heard the detonator spark and hid in their pipework for a minute. I thought I'd tap the ship with Mjolnir to make it seem look like a bit of shrapnel did for her. But then they just took off into hyperspace. Don't know why. Don't care either. Anyway, that's it. I'm off back to Asgard now. Ready for resurrection if you need me. I uh, think I might have pulled me groin though. So give me a while to get my fitness back. Give me a buzz. Let me know if the martyr thing works. Oh, also get me some gold. I'm so strapped. It's not funny. Oh, last thing. Keep your eye out for my helmet. I must have lost it in the explosion and it's my favourite one. I'm going to sign off. I have another call coming in. Thor beat his chest with one fist, then winked at the camera. Nice work, manager. Zaphod closed the video window, flabbergasted. Wow, he said. I can't believe that modern idea worked. Also, I am amazed that Thor picked up on it, subtle as it is. My stratagems are generally so nuanced that most people need to hear them a couple of times. Left brain bobbled before Zaphod's eyes. You don't remember saying anything about Mara's, do you? No, replied Zaphod. But that doesn't mean I didn't say it. So, you actually thought your one client was dead? Of course not. You can't kill a god. Even that guy you drove into the white hole is still alive, even if his parts are spread across several dimensions. What about that special bomb? Zaphod snorted. The quest. Who do you think sold that to the Vogons? I'm surprised it didn't fall out of the sky. I put a lawnmower engine on that thing. Left Brain was quiet for a moment, except for the clicking of Spider-Bots gathering condensation on the inner curve of his orb. Just the two of us again. What would you like to do? Zaphod crossed his boots on the console. I don't know. Thor's martyrdom video needs a whole while to go viral, so we have some time on our hands. What were we doing before all this? We were raising funds for your re-election campaign. Zaphod was surprised. We were? But I'm already president. You were president corrected left brain in the patient tone of a preschool teacher, explaining for the umpteenth time why it was not a good idea to drink the paint water, until the moment you were convicted of a first-degree felony. But everyone still calls me Mr. President. Isn't that confusing? Not for more than half a second if you have half a brain. Zaphod frowned. Do you have to multiply those halves? 
Left brain steamed in his jaw. Just forget the horrors. You were president, now you're not. It's that straightforward enough for you. So, who is the actual president? Currently? Yeah, and right now. Left Brain did not take a moment to consult anything because everyone knew who the galactic president was, with the exception of all the regular passengers on this ship, with the possible but definitely not definite exception of Ford Prefect. It's Spinale Tronco of the Headless Horseman tribe of Jaglan Beater. Zaphod bolted upright, which is not easy when your feet are propped up on a console. His heel stumps sparked as he stamped in vexation. What? Trunko? But he has no heads! Not even a single head does he have! Zero on the shoulders! We have been through this, Zephard. Not in the past twenty minutes, we haven't. And you know what my retention is like. I'm surprised you retained retention. Exactly! Right, LB, enter the coordinates for my constituency. You don't have a constituency, and if you did, it would be the entire galaxy. Well, take me to the center of the galaxy, then. If Save Our People Brax is back, people need to know it. I need to throw up a club, just throw up at a club, have liaisons in a toilet, possibly go on a reality reality show. Think... Of uh, the first order of business is to get the first degree felony charged to reduce to a second degree. That way you can run for office. Good thinking, LB. Who do we pay off? This time, Left Brain consulted his data banks. Improbably enough, Spinale Trunco. Oh, Trunco. There was something about him. No heads. Not a one, bastard. It took Left Brain a few seconds to hack into the presidential security details schedule. Trunko is currently relaxing at his stable compound on Jaglin Beater. Then we go to Jaglin Beater. Left Brain squinted while he beamed the coordinates to the improbability drive. You know, Trunko hates you, Zephard. You might need to something a little more tempting than that sack of gold I scanned you with. Zaphod gave Left Brain a thumbs up. And it took the disembodied head a moment to realise that there was something on one of the thumbs. A tiny, horned helmet. I might have something to bargain with, said Zaphod. Space. Thor had pulled in to an asteroid to try and connect with Zaphod, and was sitting on a little pocket of oxygen on the surface when he switched over to the incoming call. He didn't actually need breathable air, but it did help stave off migraine. Plus, it made talking on the phone a lot easier when he didn't have to dig into the magic well just to make his voice heard in space. Thunder God here, he said into Mjolnir's handle. Talk to me! A little golden head appeared on the hammer's head. Hey, Thundergirl, what's up? Bishop, nice to see you. There's quite a lot up, actually. I have a flock now. Genuine believers. There's maybe one warrior in the bunch, but it's a start. The chess piece took a pull on his cigarette. That's great, Thor, and I'm calling you with more good news. Really? What? It's about your video, said Bishop. It's at number one with a couple of billion hits. 
Um, a regular sub-ether sensation. Thor's heart sang. When are they going to let that go? I dress up in one bustier and the universe never forgets. No, 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 not that one. The new one with you clobbering the green guy who insulted everybody. Apparently there are a lot of people thrilled to see him getting his comeuppance. Number one? Really? That's fantastic. Yeah, lovely hammer action, by the way. Leading with your body like I told you. You're back on top, my friend. Thor grinned hugely. This is great. Call Dad and Mum. Call everyone. Big session in my hall tonight. I want mead and pigs and beef and virgins. What about squid? No, no squid. But whatever else you can get, and make sure the Valkyrie get an invite. Bishop punched the air. The thunder is back, he said. That's right, said Thor. The thunder is back. He hung up, took off, then turned around and smashed the asteroid from sheer exuberance. Hey, said the spirit of Fenrir, that was my tooth. The business end. Constant Moan lay on his bunk staring at his face in the Barbie mirror. You did the right thing, he told himself over and over, though he did switch the sentence structure around a bit to fool his subconscious into thinking he was hearing something new. It was a good thing you did. You did the right thing. Then, what you did back there, that was totally right. A good thing. The face in the mirror inside the pink plastic frame was friendly, but worried. He had saved the earthlings, it was true. But there were many species on the to-endanger list. And that tax-paying citizens trick would only work as often as it was legal which would not be very often, now that Prostechnik Jeltz had experienced it once. That'll be the first thing he checks from now on. Who are these people we're about to obliterate? You will find a way in... You will find a way, said the face in the mirror, a face that looked almost kindly without the drool cup. Moan never left his quarters without his drool cup now. The last thing he wanted to look was kindly which could be seen as a symptom of evolution. As a matter of fact, Moan had added a foot crimper to his wardrobe after the twinkle toes comment on the bridge. It didn't do to be too sprightly on a Vogon deck. One day we will dance, he said to his reflection. One day we will sing, said the face in the mirror, and then... It was the right thing to do, what you did back there, right and good. His father's voice erupted from the speaker over Moan's bed. Constance, I have some planetary council or other on the line, claiming that because of their leap year system, we haven't given enough notice of their involved destruction. I need you to take a look at it. Right away, Daddy said Moan, stashing the mirror and strapping the foot crimper across his toes. I'm on my way! That's good, my little utter bastard, said Jeltz and hung up. Not yet I'm not, thought Moan, hobbling to the door. Not just yet. Nano. Arthur Dent 
was beginning to understand his daughter's feelings of isolation. I see now what you were talking about, he told her one morning before work. We don't fully belong anywhere. Earth was our planet, but it's gone now. And even though we called it home, Earth hadn't been our home for decades. We both lived full lives away from its surface. Me on my island, you in Megabrantis. We're, we're cosmic nomads, which would be a great name for a band, by the way. Interstellar drifters with no one to cling to in this eternity of displacement but each other. And Random said, What will you put on my sandwiches today, Daddy? Bearing in mind that I'm trying to be vegetarian now and beef is not vegetarian. That beef snuck onto the sandwich, said Arthur lamely, and he realised that Random was not as unrelentlessly unhappy as she had been. Perhaps the daily attrition in Hillman Hunter's office was giving his daughter a focus for her, for her ire, and maybe Arthur should be grateful for the relatively pleasant teenager who presented herself at the breakfast table most mornings, instead of trying to drag her down into the eye-core of his wounded psyche. Coleslaw? Random kissed his cheek. Lovely. No crusts. Crusts? Course not. What are we, barbarians? How could I call myself a sandwich maker? And so on and so forth. By the time Arthur had finished his protestations and moved on to listing his sandwich maker credentials, Random had stuffed her lunch into the satchel lent to her by Ford and left for work. Arthur stuck to a couple of weeks of stay-at-home daddy and then began looking for excuses to go on a trip. Just you and me, he told Ford. It'll be like the old days, but without the exploding planets and the other people who were with us in the old days. No can do, mate, Ford had responded, trying his best to seem regretful, which was difficult for him with a volcanic mud mask covering his features and two delightful masseuses twanging his hamstrings. There are an inordinate number of spas on this little planet, and I need to sample them all. I owe it to the hitchhikers out there. Arthur glanced at the price list. Aren't you supposed to be surviving on 30 Altarian dollars a day? The Altarian stock market fluctuates quite a bit, said Ford, perhaps blushing a little under the mud. One day, $30 can buy you a house in the suburbs with a two-child garage and 3.4 wives. The next, you'd be lucky to have enough for a tube of anti-hangover leeches. I'm, I'm covering high and low-end tourism, just to be safe. And so, Arthur was forced to explore alone. Alone. That dreaded word. He, Arthur Dent, was a lone man, alone and lonely, on loan from another dimension, a low no one with no one to lean on. All of which sounded a little pessimistic and self absorbed, even to somebody who'd recently received a package addressed to self absorbed pessimist Nano. So Arthur decided to dress up his trip as paternal duty. I am travelling to Croxwan to vet this university for you, he told Random. She would argue, but he intended to knock her down, uh, knock down her points preemptively. Now, I know what you're going to say, but what kind of father would I be if I let my daughter loose in the universe without checking it out first? 
Your mother and wow bagger will be back from their cruise in a few days. Also, Ford will stay with you until I get back. It's only a dozen jumps, so it shouldn't take more than a week. Two at the most. Anyway, in virtual terms, you're 100 years old, so a couple of weeks without me shouldn't trouble you. I'm leaving you all my contact numbers and a supply of frozen sandwiches, so everything should be fine. Any questions? Random had thought for a moment and then asked, What kind of sandwiches? So now, Arthur was seated in a lovely wraparound gel seat in a business class of a hyperspace liner, which looked alarmingly like a set of male genitalia from the outside, but was quite pleasant inside once banished memory... Once one banished the memory of two hyperspace boosters and a passenger tube. (laughs) His seat had been purchased with space points from account he'd opened in his pre-Lamuella days. The Fenchurch days. This is good, he told himself. I am doing something positive instead of moping around at home interfering with Random's career. Now I can interfere with her education instead. Arthur allowed himself to be stripped of his flightard, oiled and slid into his chair. The gel, so the gel seat folded around him and he selected the Hitchhiker's Guide to get to the Galaxy from the touch menu. Arthur had the little icon rub itself along a link to the Cruxwan, and there were 3,000 articles. Plenty to keep me going for the entire journey, he thought. Once all the passengers were on board, the pneumatic doors hissed closed, and Arthur was relieved to find that he was the only one in his row. He would not consider himself a flight snob, but sometimes an oiled man in a flightard likes to climb out of his seat unobserved. They took off, and Arthur watched Nano recede into space through the shippocam box on his seat. Soon, the entire nebula was little more than a shawl of cosmic gauze thrown over a network of stars. Shawl of cosmic gauze, thought Arthur. If Ford could write like that, he actually might make some money. A little blue engine icon appeared in the corner of his cushion, and Arthur sucked deep on the cedar straw. Hyperspace, I have missed you. The jump was smoother than he remembered. Must be these new seats. The sensation reminded him a little of the softness of crashing into snowdrifts on a sledge that he had enjoyed as a boy, but without the shock of cold. This sensation was warm and welcoming. Arthur felt a tinge of loss at the corner of his good mood. Hyperspace could take things away too, especially if he were from a plural zone. Arthur Dent relaxed and watched the universe folding around him. Outside the cocoon of his chair swam asteroids, space creatures, and the faces of a million other travellers. The Hitchhiker's Guide identified them them all with little colour-coded V-labels, but the travellers were gone and replaced by new ones before Arthur could uh, read a single word. After a dreamlike first jump, the ship swung out of hyperspace, jittering to one side like a stone skimming on a lake. Seatbelt lights flashed for a few seconds and then winked out. 
I think I'll just go to the loo, thought Arthur, before the next jump. Obviously, the seat could have recycled his recyclings, but Arthur felt there were some things that should not be done in public into a glorified plastic bag. He deflated the chair a little and sat up woozily, and was mildly surprised to find the chair beside him occupied. The newcomer was chatting to him with some familiarity, as though they'd met before. Arthur's eyes had not yet cleared, but the voice was one he knew. And so was the tilt of the head and the sheaf of hair tucked behind one ear. Fenchurch? Arthur rubbed his eyes free of hyperdose and looked again. It was Fenchurch, chatting animatedly as if as though they'd never been apart. This cannot be true. I, I'm dreaming. But he was not. It was Fenchurch, returned to him. She was exactly the same, except for the blue mottling on her upper brow and the sloping ridge of bone in the centre of her forehead. Almost the same. Maybe two dimensions down. Her Arthur is gone so is my Fenchurch. Fenchurch finished her story and laughed her tinkling laugh with a distinctive inhale at the end that always reminded Arthur of his mum's hoover. If I know Fenchurch, she's not finished talking yet, thought Arthur, still fighting his way out of a bemused fugue. There are more stories to come. He was right. Fenchurch tapped him on the forearm tucked a stray, of, stray strand of hair behind her ear and opened her mouth. And another thing, she said. What other thing? Arthur wanted to ask. And what thing came before the other thing? Tell me about all the things in order. He wanted to say these words to this exotic yet familiar Fenchurch, but when he raised his hands to cradle her face, he saw that her fingers, his fingers, were transparent. What? Oh, no, no! Nausea swelled inside him. A barbed boil of static that flowed through his limbs and wrapped his brain in fog. The plural zone, he realised. People from a plural zone should never travel in hyperspace. They could end up anywhere. Arthur saw Fenchurch reach for him. Her beautiful mouth formed his name and then she was zooming away from him in a multicoloured elastic tunnel. She's not zooming away, Arthur realised. It's me. I'm the one zooming. The galaxy swirled around him, and he was naked in it, without protection from the cold and radiation. And yet he did not die or suffer, simply fumed as the hyperspace anomaly drew him further and further away from his life. Eventually the sheer volume of stuff and perspective grew too terrifying. And so Arthur closed his eyelids, which made 
absolutely no difference, as they were transparent. And so he tried to focus on the one place where he had ever known true peace. He bore down mentally, conjuring every bamboo stalk in his hut and every white rock breaching the ocean on his stretch of sand. He did not think of the nebula swirling past or the red stars spewing their flares into space. He did not think about these things so much that soon they were all he could not think about. After a time which could not be measured even with a top-class digital watch, Arthur decided that he felt solid again. He strained his ears and heard waves crash, stuck out his tongue and tasted salt. Could it be? he wondered. Arthur Dent opened his eyes to find himself sitting on a beach, very much like the one from his virtual life. There were differences in the curve of the coastline, but it was as near as made no difference. There was even a small hut just past the scrub line. Is, is this possible? he wondered, or, or even probable. Whatever that really means, if it means anything. He squinted against the glare of late evening sun rays, and could not help but notice a squat, yellow shape on the distant horizon. What? Surely not. Arthur would have added, It can't be! But that particular phrase had given up its right to bear an exclamation mark since he'd met Zaphod Beeblebrocks. Nothing couldn't be, and if it shouldn't be, then it generally was. A pootletink bird sidled alongside him. Bloody Vogons, it said from the side of its beak. They've been here for a few days. Apparently someone forgot to file a planning permission for that hut. Typical, said Arthur, then closed his eyes and wished he was somewhere else with someone else. Guide note. Arthur Dent's almost incredible bad luck created a providence vacuum which led to unbelievably good fortune for being on the other side of the universe. A certain Mr. A. Grajag, a little-known sportscaster from Unhai, was successfully resuscitated after six months of near flatlines on his hospital monitor following a space collision with a UBID cargo ship. He awoke to a cocktail reception from the Planetary Lotto Committee to celebrate his numbers coming up as opposed to his number being up. At the same moment, his childhood sweetheart, who had recognised Mr Grijag from his stint on Celebrity Coma, burst into his hospital room, declaring her long-nurtured and genuine love. The pair went on to marry and had two well-adjusted children who had no wish to follow their father into show business preferring to study law and medicine. 
Had Arthur Dent known about the Grijags, it may have cheered him up a little. But not much. The end of one of the middles. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is quite definitely it. <laughs> the last words of the last book of the six-part trilogy of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, almost two years in the reading, on and off, but we made it. All six books. Um, that's it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm a little emotional now. Um, yeah, we've done it. <laughs> that is, that is it. Um, we, we've made it all the way through all of the books. Um, I am a very lucky human being, uh, in that I was, um, fortunate enough to meet Douglas once, um, many, 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 many years ago. So, um, Douglas, this has been for you. This has been for my family, for my friends, for all of you that have been listening and watching over the last two years. Um, it's been a, it's been a ride. It's been fun. <laughs> and I am really trying not to choke up at the minute. Um, thank you all. Thank you all so very much for your company. It has been an absolute pleasure to read these books for you. Um, I am an inordinately huge fan of the books. So to be able to do this and to share the, this process with you has been a genuinely uh, wonderful experience. Um, Thank you so much for your company. Uh, do, uh, if you can, uh, and, and feel able to support me with a, a, either a donation or by going becoming a patron on patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit. Everything is scrolling under the screens or you can go to my ACAST podcast site. Podcasters, uh, I can't even remember, whatever it is, what is it? supporter.acast.com forward slash the hyphen bearded hyphen wit um, I'm off to the United Kingdom at a ridiculously early time tomorrow morning um, uh, so I'm going to take a break probably for a couple of weeks but you are all the hoopiest of fruits this has been a huge pleasure thank you so much for being with me on this journey um, be good to yourselves, look after yourselves, and uh, I'll see you soon. I'll see you soon. Take care, everyone. We'll meet again, don't know where. Don't know. Oh, uh, yeah, well, actually, I will be doing some more readings, of course. Um, so if you go to uh, Facebook and go to the Facebook group and just uh, drop me a line on what you would like to do. Um, yeah. <laughs>
Okay. Some sunny day. All right, we get it.